Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. A big ahoy there. We are on the Good Ship Radio Marinara. Welcome all in the studio. We have myself, Cabin Boy. Uh, Jeff, welcome. And we have me, Jeff Maynard, and uh, we do not have Bron Burton today. Bron she's is still in isolation. We send a cheerio to her. No, think... Jeff, she's watching, yes. She's... Oh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the omnipotent Bron Burton. Oh, that's a bit welcome, scary. Bron. Actually, I am here. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hello, Bron. Joining you by the magic of, um, of technology from COVID Central. We did have party poppers, streamers, everything ready to go <laughs> when you walked in the studio and yet we're going to have to cancel it for another week. It's the first yeah. time I've seen Kent carry a car fridge into the studio. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were going to have a good time this morning, Brian, but <laughs> you go, go get yourself a cup of coffee or something. You know? I've actually got one and I'm not going to do what I did last time I did a broadcast from home, which was tip the entire uh, contents of the cup of coffee into the power board and short out the entire house <laughs> uh, halfway through the show. And that was that was in 2020. But anyway, yeah, won't be doing that today. Rather your house than the whole studio at Triple R. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, Bron, who have we got on today? It's a big, bit of a big show, even though you're not in the studio. Well, I, I'm there and I'm not there, if that makes sense. So, um, firstly, big thank you very much. I haven't been able to do this for two months. I can't believe it. But um, thanks so much to Tim Thorpe and wonderful Monique DiMartina. Um, was uh, you're very lovely hearing you. And I've been Tim's been getting me through the last couple of months. I've had COVID for the last couple of weeks, but a um, bit of stuff going on before then. But um, thank you so much, Tim, and, and to Monique as well. Um, today's show shortly where um, Rex is going to be in studio talking to us about ships recycling. So this is sort of a, almost a bit of, we've heard the word circular economy a fair bit, um, talking about, you know, how we approach using our waste and making making sure that we can sort of get it into some kind of a cycle. But it actually went on a long time ago, um, Port of Melbourne during the late 19th to mid 20th centuries. Uh, recycling old ships. So Rex is going to talk to us a bit about that, including Matthew Flinders, the investigator. So really looking forward to that. Um, we're going to be catching up with Dr. Elodie Campras. Uh, I heard Elodie on the show last week speaking with Anthony and Farm. Uh, but this is in relation to National Science Week, which kicks off this week, and some really interesting activities that she's going to be leading encouraging everybody to come on board to look at some of that footage that they've been collecting from cameras deployed all over Port Phillip Bay to kind of spy on our spider crabs and make some sense of some of the footage that's come through. So really looking forward to talking to Elodie about that. And then Jeff. Yes. <laughs> so oh, sorry, Bron. Yes, I'm here. I, I, was dozing, yes. I was dozing off. You were doing the whole thing. Yeah, go on. <laughs> He's doing the, something about James Bond. He's got his tuxedo on. He's looking very suave. Yeah, very suave. Nice. And I'm going to be talking about the uh, the origins of uh, oceanography in the in the 19th century and the James Bond movie Moonraker. And um, there is a connection, but we'll get to that later. Don't reveal it too soon, no. Um, weather is happening outside, so uh, let's uh, catch up with that because uh, if you are out on the bay, out in the water, if you're diving, sailing or anything, and you're interested in the tides, well, the tides today, low tide will be at 10.25 at Williamstown and you can expect a high tide at 5 o'clock. Uh, the weather, well, it's going to be a patchy morning with some fog around, mostly cloudy, 
Medium chance of showers, which is about 60% in the west, and, um, well, a top of, where are we, 15 degrees. So uh, there is a touch of spring in the air over the weekend. Oh, yesterday too, the sun was out. Not today, though, by the looks of things. Um, any other news, anyone? Bron, you got some news? I was going to say, do you want me to have a look at the weather for the week ahead? I've actually got it in front of me. If you may, yes. Yeah. So uh, 15 and showers tomorrow, 14 and showers Tuesday. Oh, this is the theme. Wednesday, showers 15. Thursday, showers 16. Friday, showers 13. And a shower or two on Saturday. So basically showers and around the mid-teens for the entire week. We shouldn't have done that. That's just depressed me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, any any little news we've got that's happening out there? Jeff, anything? No, no. I, I, I uh, uh, can't talk about anything. Uh, Marini this week, I've not been out anywhere or diving or jumping in the water at all. So. Well, I've got a uh, little oh, bit of a bombshell. The, uh, the UKHO, which is the United Kingdom Hydrographic Office, they're no longer producing paper charts. So uh, they're ceasing paper charts. They'll be out of production by 2026. So that means that you can no longer buy a paper chart to uh, do your navigation on. So why they are doing that is there has been a rapid decline in paper charts because all the seafarers are using the electronic charts, which is the Navionics and the chart plotters and that. And when you think about it, some guy in his little um, runabout with his uh, chart plotter on isn't going to be carrying a chart. So, But all the uh, old-time salts are up in arms about that. It's like when the, they stopped producing vinyl records. It's just outrageous. So, uh, so yes, but I, I might explore that. In a um, in the future with a Cabin Boy Diary uh, little segment there. Yeah, that'd be great. It's uh, it's interesting. I, I kind of understand the reason for it, but at the end of the day, aren't we still dependent on, particularly for things like paper charts that it would serve as a backup? Well, that's the thing. No one's carrying them or buying them, though. So they're still producing the electronic charts, but no one knows how to read a chart anymore, too. And... Uh, no one knows how to use a sextant, which is what you need your chart for and all that. So it's just, as I said, it's kind of like vinyl records. It's gone, you know, MP3s are the thing now, and that's the same with chart plotters. So, yeah. But it's they are a work of art. If you've got a chart, don't throw it out. It's always uh, good to look at, and you know, especially on the edges where it says "Here be dragons," because you know it hasn't been ch- plotted yet. <laughs> Are they going to become a bit like Melways, do you think? You'll still get some people that have them in the back of their car. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because I've still got a stack of charts on my boat. And every, you know, every proper sailor will have some charts on their boat. So just for the uh, just for the uh, cool factor, I reckon. I thought you were going to say you still had a stack of Melways, Brett. No. Do you know, I was looking at it the other day. Remember, we used to drive around with that on our knees trying to go, how dangerous was that? So, yeah. So that was, <laughs> is ridiculous. I kids that. Exactly. I, and, you know, sometimes with, um, you know, if you draw, I'm actually I'm not going to admit to this, some of the things <laughs> I used to do with the Melways balancing on my knees. <laughs> but it is now, I five minutes from home, I plug in home into the, uh, into the uh, GPS just to find the quickest way home. So we've lost a lot of intelligence, I think. Um, I've got a quick news item. Yep. If I may. Oh, this yes. has come through. Thanks very much. Big thank you to um, Triple R Talks producer Elizabeth McCarthy, who sent this one through during the week from CSIRO. They've just announced that from fish to ants, 139 new species that they've just named, which is pretty cool. So, uh, big win for biodiversity. CSIRO, Australia's national science agency, has revealed 139 new species named and described by researchers and partners in the past year. So, 
Would you believe out of all of Australia's species, only 25% they estimate are known to science? We still don't know about 75% of our species, which I find just extraordinary. Um, and particularly scientific names being vital for researchers so that we can document and you know then move forward with our research. We can understand our ecosystems better. So uh, some of those examples of um, new species that have been identified. We've got four marine fishes. So the silver spot weed fish, uh, Heteroclinus. Oh, this is going to test me. <laughs> Hetri- <laughs> I'm just going to go with the silver spot weed fish um, uh, from southwestern Australia. So South Australia and Western Australia. Then there's a purple tipped Antheus uh, in waters from uh, 109 to 119 metres, so very deep in southern Queensland. Then there's the long fin thread tail Antheus uh, in waters from 62 to 252 metres deep from central Queensland coast to the central uh, New South Wales coast. And then the Dampyrian threadfill Antheus living in waters from 66 to 177 metres deep in northern Western Australia. Have they all subscribed? Have they all Uh, subscribed? It sounds like Radiothon. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about that. I was thinking exactly that when I was reading through these. We might have to somehow weave these. Actually, we will definitely weave these into our Radiothon fish names. Oh, ah, cool. Yeah, um, more on that shortly. Uh, they've also got a few plants, a frog, 117 insects, um, and then a bunch of other invertebrates as well. So, yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff, yeah. Uh, speaking of Radiothon, it's coming up. It is one station under a groove, which is a really interesting theme. Brings us all together. A bit of a challenge for us here in Radio Marinara because, as you will know if you're a long-time listener to this program, if you subscribe during our hour of between 9 and 10 and we read out your name, you'll get what we call a fish name, and it's not necessarily fish. Of course, we cover invertebrates and and all sorts of other critters and plants as well. Um, And we always try and pair our fish names to the theme of the Radiothon. So one station under a groove... um, Jeff, uh, this is your idea to go with a groovy theme, and you've already come up with about 50, 50 yeah. groovy fish names. Yes, I have. You could be all. You could be a Fleetwood mackerel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got uh, heaps of groovy fish names from the uh, grooviest, um, I suppose, decade, be the seventies. Uh, so yeah, look, bust out your flares for a radiothon, uh, it's, uh, and see how we go. It yeah, does. We can have a look going to have a lot of fun really looking forward to it it does seem we're concentrating on the 70s with groovy doesn't it yeah yeah it was a natural thing we we gravitated (laughs) to it well it's only two weeks away so we're going to have to come up with a lot of fish names because i know there's going to be a lot of subscribers out there yeah that's right and we welcome uh we welcome jeff uh, rex into the uh studio Jeff's already here. No need to welcome him. Oh, there is. This <laughs> <laughs> welcome, Rex. We're going to be talking about some ship recycling. First off, news. You've got news. <laughs> well, the death of the uh, chart has been greatly exaggerated. Oh, okay. <laughs> I still use them. Uh, they are like gold to me because that's how I put out my shipwreck searches and because uh, putting it on paper, yeah, and pencil, and having it a solid, yeah, analog. You can't be. It's not the death. They're just no longer putting them out there, publishing them. So hang on to your old charts. Yeah. I have. I've got ones dating back to the 1960s. I could imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) I was just a mere lad. So you use that to uh, plot all your shipwrecks that you discover? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No, it's vital. It's uh, because you said you can draw on it. You can get lats and longs off them. Yep. As well, they're... They're worth their weight in gold. And they're a work of art, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I mean, they're still using charts based on 
Captain Cook and Flinders. Oh, really? Like, especially up in the, the reefs area, because they just haven't had time to uh, chart the... Well, that's that, here, here there be dragons, isn't it? That yeah. thing where yeah. there is. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, the, just the history of Captain Cook that we're still using something that he has charted and plotted is quite amazing. Yeah, incredible. Uh, Navigators, like yeah, him and Flinders, just incredible. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so you've got all your charts hidden away with all the uh, secret shipwrecks. In uh, code, yeah, Portuguese style. So you've been cut up with a pair of scissors, and you just have to get the code and put them back together, and just burn along the edges like a treasure map. <laughs> <laughs> so ship recycling—that sounds like pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, ship recycling. It's nothing new. I mean, these days, as we we're just talking about before, the um, they're breaking ships up in places like India and other countries where you recycle all the metals and uh, everything. I mean, like even the chairs, the oil, yeah, all that type of thing. Well, that's nothing new because um, back, sort of, say, around the early 1900s through the 1920s, when sailing ships became uneconomical to sail because uh, steam became so cheap, a lot cheaper, and you know, just so labour intensive, a sail having a you know. A five thousand ton sailing ship is just huge. When I mean, you can just put a, a steam engine in, and away you go. So a lot of them started being converted into hulks, coal hulks, and lighters in Melbourne. I mean, they still had already been using vessels like that, but um, there was a sort of just a surge because um, steamers, as steam became, more, we're talking about steam, steam, steam became more popular. And they needed somewhere to store all their uh, coal and uh, fuel. Yeah, yeah. So, and coal, coal was actually called black diamonds back in uh-huh. 100 years ago because it was just so valuable. And industry and steamers needed coal. I mean, we know now how terrible it is yeah. as a fuel. You know, it's just shopping. But um, they needed, they had the coal hog. So what they, what the... Um, like ship owners would do, they'd buy an old sailing ship for you know, maybe a few hundred pounds. Yep. And then they'd just strip them out. So all the masts, masts. So just cut it off and just strip the uh, hull well, out and use it as storage. Valuable. That was all valuable material. So yeah. All, a lot of that was recycled. So I've found shipwrecks and um, like one, one ship I found, shipwreck I found off Port Melbourne had a rudder made from recycled timber from an American ship. Yeah, because it's good quality timber all those yeah, uh, yeah. ships were made from. And so, yeah, you imagine um, like you're getting massive all the pieces of timber like... The teak and mahogany and things and like mahogany, that. Teak and mahogany, yeah, it was, it, was, it was recycled. So um, there was so there was two types of uh, hulks. There was a coal hulk, mm-hmm. which would store coal, and they would be... Un- they're unpowered, so um, they'd have a tug to just tow them around different parts of Port Phillip Bay. You know, they'd tow them to Geelong if there's they needed coal there or tow them up around up the Yarra River, Footscray, uh, up to Melbourne, around there. And also it was vessels called a lighter. And lighters have been used in Melbourne since uh, day one. And um, Faulkner, one of the pioneers of Melbourne, converted a, a whale boat into a lighter. So that would, they moved materials with lighters as well. So okay. again, the, get an old sailing ship or a steamer, take the engine out, yep. or do whatever, recycle all the bits because metal is worth money as well. Yeah. And that, then they'd, uh, that would carry wool or anything, you know, all general cargo. Because a lot of the times, because they had so many ships in port and the piers were so busy, they couldn't always 
are loaded directly onto the piers, mm-hmm. piers and jetties. So they put a lighter alongside, load it up, and then take it up to Melbourne or take it to Geelong. Okay, so what years are we talking there? That's like the early well, 1900s or...? It, it was done right through, especially from the 1850s when the gold rushes start, right yeah. up through to the uh, 19, the ni- late 1950s, okay, 1960s. Yep. It was one of the last shipwrecks in um, off Weems, what major shipwrecks, was a, an old lighter that was being towed down to Geelong in... 1955, and uh, got the tow rope got fouled in the ship's a tug's propeller, and it broke loose and then blew ashore at Williamstown. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> oh, excuse me. So um, it's still it was still being done, you know, like 60 years ago. Well, do you know much about the Elmer Dopel, the one they're doing up <coughs> down at the Docklands? Because I think that was was a sailing ship. Then they stripped it out and used it for something else, and now they're putting it back together. It was um. Elmo Dopel was yeah. Uh, yeah, it was built on New South Wales coast as a uh, topsail schooner. Yep, three masted topsail schooner, and used to trade between um, came down to Melbourne and then used to trade between Melbourne and Tasmania. Okay, and a good mate of mine who, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, Bob Leake, mm-hmm. he was one of the last people to sail aboard oh, wow. when she was un- under sail. Yeah, and the stories he used to tell me, it's like you know that it takes six weeks to get to Tasmania and. <laughs> <laughs> we're in no hurry to break any records. Well, this they're trying to get that back sailing, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, that that was then converted into a like a powered lighter. We would take limestone, yeah, to a, a factory in um, down Hobart. They used it as part of a metal metal working process. Yeah. So when they went from carrying coal to Geelong and all that sort of stuff to wrecks underwater now. Did, what do they do when they finish with them? Do they just sort of sink them or do they burn them to the water level? Well, again... How, they, how do we get transition from that to, to something you dive? Well, they weren't, weren't always dive because along the uh, Maribyrnong River, you know, Footscray, right yep. along there to the... Um, right up to the mouth of the Yarra, there was little embayments and quite often some uh, a small group would buy a shipwreck, like, say, wooden... Uh, a wooden hulk that passed the shoes by date, and they'd run it ashore, and then they'd just systematically systematically break it up and sell the timber for firewood. Yeah. yeah. Plus, you had the iron fittings as well, and all the brass fittings and that. And all the brass, and they burn, you know, burn the timber to get the brass, bronze, and brass bolts. A wood like a, a thousand ton sailing ship would have a couple, of, probably a couple of tons of bronze yeah. in bolts, and quite often. That would be recycled again that way, and then also they'd just cut like a sailing ship. They'd cut probably the top top meter or, or maybe more off, yeah. like the bulwarks or all that down to maybe down to a deck level, and then uh, that was scrap metal. And then they'd take that hulk, what was left of it after the ship's graveyard, and scuttle them out there. So like a artificial reef or something that well, way. Well, it was just a, a cheap way of getting rid of, yeah. of your ship. Just tow them out the heads and sink them. Yeah, yeah, out yeah. the ship's graveyard, which yeah. is about five miles. Yeah, no, I've, off the I've heads. Been there. <laughs> so yeah, even even to their after being recycled and turned to hulks, they were then recycled again and turned into foot 
Firewood and footscray. Yeah, I guess that's recycling, isn't now, it? <laughs> we've all sort of been reading, or well, some of us have been reading about the Endeavour, um, you know, which was became a, a pretty much a Hulk and, and uh, Captain Cook's Endeavour and was yes. in America, and now they're trying to get bits of timber off. Are there any significant ships that were became, you know, went down that road and um, and, and are now? You can find in you know under the Westgate Bridge kind of thing. Is there anything? I, I think you've been reading my notes, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually Matthew Flinders' Investigator, which yeah. was helped chart the coast of Australia in eighteen hundred and two, hundred and three, yeah. something like that, was turned to a hulk called the uh, Xylophone, yeah. and that that was a hulk in Melbourne from I think the 18, 1850s through to, and sunk in eighteen sixty eight off Williamstown. It was raised and they towed it ashore at Port Melbourne in the in the bite there and then broke it up. So yeah. there's possibly remains of Matthew Flinders' oh, wow. ship in yeah. the investigator in the in the bite of Port Melbourne. Yeah. So that's fairly that, significant for yeah, charting. Again, we said we still using his charts and, yeah. uh, and that because he was, he was one of the ones to work out that Bass Strait was Bass Strait. Because uh, when the um, Sydney Cove was wrecked off Preservation yeah. Island, he went down there and then realised there was a current running through and thought thought there must have been a strait there, which proved correct. Yeah, so, yeah. So, I mean, again, we could talk about this for hours, can't we? Such but an interesting... I think Bron might ring up and uh, tell me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are running out of time, though, but... um. The, the, not only breaking up though, like a classic example of recycling is the um, the cooter boats. You know, they used to be fishing boats, and now they're pleasure craft. So a, a lot of working boats have turned into pleasure crafts yes, too. They've gone from gum boots to uh, uh, to yacht shoes. <laughs> no, I was going to say very expensive yacht shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Loafers, gum boots to loafers. Ah, uh, yes. Well, uh, thanks for that, Rex. Uh, ship recycling, uh, uh, there's more to explore there for sure. Yes, so, uh, yes, you'll have to stop me here, I'm afraid. Yeah, well, I was going <laughs> to... I can see a big hook coming Well, we've got a little bit of news coming up. We've uh, got Dave Donnelly with the uh, Killer Whales, but I'll, I'll throw to Bron to uh, talk about that. Um, yeah, Rex, uh, we're going to get you back in a couple of weeks' time for Radiothon. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, uh, Jeff set the bar pretty high with fish name, so good luck. <laughs> I had a wild moment there. and sort of Anyway. We're going to recycle him for Radiothon, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, Whatever works for you, Rex. So, yeah, um, if you've just joined our, our Radiothon fish names this year are going to be uh, very much focused on our theme, which is one station under a groove. So whatever you can come up with, Rex, that's groovy and relates to maritime um, archaeology. Let's just oh, get that. Oh, now you've set a <laughs> nice challenge. I, I can do that. Yeah, the groove awesome. martyr. Oh, nice. Already. God. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yes, indeed. Triple R is where you are. It's 9.28. You are listening to Radio Marinara. Um, Bron Burton joining you remotely, and we also have... Uh, Cabin Boy, Brett and Jeff in studio. Now, while the spider crabs of Portfield Bay have officially left the building for another year, another party is just getting started as Dr Elodie Campras and her team get down to business in getting their science on and solving some of the mysteries of the population dynamics of spider crabs and their annual migration patterns. This week, to celebrate National Science Week, Elodie and her team launch a project where we're all invited to join them to review the images from deployed time-lapse cameras that were put around various sites at Port Phillip Bay during the last few months to capture their activity and that of other creatures at the time of the year. To tell us more, as always, it's a great pleasure to welcome back 
to Radio Marinara from Deakin University, Dr Elodie Campress. Good morning, Elodie. Welcome back. Good morning. Thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Um, happy National Science Week. Yes, yes, it's very exciting. Um, there's always, you know, heaps and heaps of great events and activities, both um, online and in person. Uh, but, yeah, really happy to say that, yes, yeah, spider crabs will be on the program as well. Um, so, yeah, you, you mentioned the Citizen Science Program. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of work, um, you know, getting that up and running. The, we're using the Zoo Universe platform, which is a Citizen Science platform, um, that help analyze images, like the one we took with the time-lapse cameras. Um, so, yeah, that, that went into beta test and we got some great feedback. And, uh, yeah, we'll be launching next week uh, on Tuesday. And, um, yeah, there's also another um, spider crab sort of activity coming. Um, I've worked in partnership with Remember the World, and we've built a 360 virtual tour of the spider crab so people can actually get, you know, immersed in the natural wonder that is the, the spider crab aggregation uh, in 360-degree images, and there's heaps of, of information and things to learn as well. Um, I haven't been involved with the program for the last couple of months, Elodie, but when you and I last spoke, you were looking at setting one, cam um, one camera up under RIPE here, it was, I believe. How many did you end up setting up? Yeah, so we had uh, 10 cameras in total and we sort of rotated them around the place. So we had cameras at Rye and Blairgarry, they were set up most of the time, but when we got to um, the field work on the Billery inside in St. Leonard's, we also got to move the cameras in and get great spider crab um, shots there. Amazing. And um, were you getting just, um, sorry, I can't quite remember, but when the um, photos were being taken, were they being fed directly to you or were they sort of just um, storing in the cameras themselves? No, yes, yeah, stored in the cameras. So we had to retrieve the cameras to actually get the, the, the images off them. Um, but, yeah, it worked really well. We got some, uh, well, in total, we got 66,000 images. <laughs> so, um, yeah, lots and lots and lots. Not just of spider crabs, obviously, but this is the value of this work as well, is that we're not only capturing spider crabs, we're documenting marine life. At, at that time of year and also, um, you know, human activity, for example, associated with the, the spider crabs, if it's, you know, fishing or diving, snorkelling, things like that. So, yeah. The spider crabs seem such a Melbourne thing and quite popular. Do you ever reckon they're going to kind of rank up there with the fairy penguins? <laughs> Good question. Um, yeah, look, I think for the local community, this is a very excited exciting time a very excited phenomenon um that they're really protective of so yeah i mean it's hard to beat the cute fairies but um yeah good question everyone loves oh, a spider crab <laughs> yeah um elodie when did the season officially end when when did the spider crabs um scuttle off yeah late june um, okay. it's, so there were a few divers at St. Leonard sort of seeing the, the you know, last sort of spider crabs coming back to the depths. Um, can't remember the exact date, but yeah, it would have been very late June. And that's kind of fairly normal, isn't it? Because usually the big aggregation happens at the beginning of June. 
Yeah, or like any time in May or June, that's right. Uh, but um, look, there's also, we know that there are aggregations that are seen at other times of year. We, we have no idea why, and usually they're pretty short-lived, but potentially in Port Phillip Bay, you could come across aggregation just about any time. And that's what we want to document from now on. We'd like to have more people on the lookout for what's happening also outside of spider crab season, yeah. What uh, what does the footage suggest so far? Have you had a chance to have a look at it or are we really at the beginning of this big citizen science project, which we'll talk about in just a minute? Yeah, that's right. I haven't had much time uh, to look at the data just yet because we were sitting up the um, yeah the citizen science program on Zoo Universe and um, yeah I also got um, which I, I talked about on Radio Marina last week but got to um, talk about uh, sorry go to uh, the museum to access the collection and and take more uh, measurements and you know identify the the sex and size of of um, the the specimens at the museum so yeah still still busy collecting data and setting up the citizen science. And uh, now, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start looking at the data, and I'm, I'm very excited to actually start crunching the numbers. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's go to this Zooniverse project. What can you tell us about Zooniverse? Yeah, so um, people can access it online. So we we haven't launched it officially. That will be um, on hopefully on Tuesday. We're just waiting for the last sort of approval and uploading the data. Um, but yeah, so. It will. People can go on the website when it's live, and then um, they will see images from the time-lapse cameras, and they have to do a series of tasks. So there's tasks focused on spider crabs, so identifying spider crabs, and um, and then sort of labeling them. So you can click on the images, you can click on the spider crabs, and in the background they will help us count count the spider crabs and um yeah you can sometimes tell the difference between a spider crab that hasn't molted yet or a spider crab that has molted so we have all these tasks um links with spider crab and also seeing if uh, people can spot um spider crabs with tags so we put tags to study their movements and some of them um show up on camera so it's about labeling them as well uh, so that's one task focused on spider crab there's one task focused on um or workflow focused on uh, human activities so in each photo that you you see humans or signs of human activities, then um, it's about labeling the signs. And then there's this, there's a workflow about other marine life. So that's documenting, you know, the predators, for example, the rays that come cruising past, and um, some other predators, and and just generally marine life. So the fish and invertebrate that are around. So there's all there's no prior experience required. All the instructions are on the website. Um, and yeah, it's just following along and, and reading the tutorial, and then people will be ready to uh, take part in. Sounds like a good opportunity if you've got COVID sitting at home with nothing to do. <laughs> yes, very good activity for that. <laughs> Bron? <laughs> well, why not? Hey? Absolutely. Um, you mentioned people don't need to have a marine science background, so that's really good to know. Is it something that schools can get involved with Elodie? Because I know schools are always, they love these sorts of projects, seal spotters being an example, and we know school groups have really got involved with seal spotters. So is this something that, yeah. that you can get, um, that schools might like to get involved with as well? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's um, yeah, definitely um, you know suitable for all ages, and certainly keen to do yeah activities with with calls when I when I have more time. Like now, I've set up the project, so have got a bit more time. But um, yeah, to find the project, people can go on the um, so if you go on National Science Week website. And type when you you have a box asking to when you want to find an event, you can type spider crabs in the the topic of the event, and then um, the Zooniverse project will come up. But uh, also the other activities that I talked about, so the virtual tour, there's a, an arts competition associated with that, and also a, a survey for the virtual tour. And the launch of the virtual tour will be on Tuesday night, so people can also grab a ticket for that. So again, on on the National Science Week website, they can type spider crab, and they get the the all the events that are happening. Um, how long will you be running this project for, Elodie? Um, so with the universe, um, you upload a certain amount of photos, and then you ask, for example, I need ten people to review the same image, and then you take the average, and you know, because it's citizen science, people will have different sort of background and different knowledge, so accuracy will vary. That's why you you require each photo to be observed by, you know, a certain number of participants. So I think for us it's, it's about 15. Um, so whenever, you know, the, the photos have been seen by the, the amount of people that you required, uh, and all photos have been seen that the, the project ends. I don't, sometimes it takes a few months, sometimes it takes a few weeks for a very popular project. It's hard to know um, how long it's going to last. Then the project sort of stays and people can still interact with it, but the data that they submit it's more for fun, like the data that they submit isn't going to be analysed and they get a, a warning for that, but they can sort of still play with it, so to speak, and ha have a look at the images. Um, but, yeah, so it could, it could be a few weeks, it could be a few months. It depends on, yeah, how many people interact with the project and um, how many images are, are analysed um, in, that, in that amount of time when we, you know, doing this promotion and... This is also going to be part of the Victorian um, Nature Festival in September, so we're hoping to get quite a lot of exposure for that. But, um, yeah, that's also my first time running this kind of project, so um, I don't exactly know what to expect, but we'll see. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, look, maybe we can catch up again in a few weeks' time, maybe on the other side of Radiothon. Uh, we'll be into September at that stage. Uh, and, and talk about that festival and how things are going. Um, in the meantime, if you're listening, if you want to take part in this, uh, it, it's a really fantastic activity. Uh, go to scienceweek.net.au, follow the links. We've al already put a link to that on our Facebook page. If you have a look at the uh, information about today's program and click on the photo of the spider crabs, it'll take you straight through to, um, to a little caption, and that's got the link in there so people can easily find it. Elodie, thanks so much for joining okay. us again. It's always a pleasure, and we'll catch up with you in a few weeks' time. Thank you. Yes, sounds great. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you. Dr. Elodie Kempras from Deakin University speaking to us about spider crabs and National Science Week. Uh, it is uh, 14 minutes to 10. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. You're listening to Radio Marinara, a quirky and informative exploration of all things wet and salty. Radio Marinara is supported by La Trobe University, taking action and transforming lives through health, science and technology 
right here and now. La Trobe University is making a real impact by working on the answers for today and tomorrow. La Trobe University, Triple R Sponsors. Uh, I painted myself into a corner earlier in the year when I said my theme would be uh, telling the history of diving and oceanography and all that sort of going underwater stuff using James Bond movies and having sort of exhausted the movies where James Bond puts on an aqualung or gets into some sort of diving suit or something. Um, I'm trying to find links and I found one with the James Bond movie Moonraker. Um, and that was the 1979 Moonraker film with uh, Roger Moore. And so what I'm going to talk about this week is the uh, origins of uh, oceanography and actually exploring the ocean. And it really goes back to uh, Charles Darwin. When he released his book, Origin of the Species, he argued that people had evolved from... Um, common ancestors you know we'd all we'd all plants animals everything had evolved now in 1859 this upset a lot of people because they said no uh, you know we're all created by god that was it religious leaders um, were quite hostile to origin of the species and one of the reasons for that was because uh, it was justification for slavery uh, the Bible says that God created man in his own image and gave him dominion over the animals. And so uh, slavers were arguing that uh, people who weren't uh, white Europeans were, were animals and therefore could be uh, used as slaves. And um, Charles Darwin, one of his reasons for publishing Origin of the Species was to counter that argument uh, and say so we're, all, we're all common ancestry. Anyway, it upset a lot of people. And uh, Charles Darwin had a bit of a fight on his hands. But anyway, what we're going to do now is play track one where James Bond sort of walks into M's office and gets his mission. 007, at last. Good morning, sir. What do you know about Moonraker? What I read in the newspaper, sir. Then you'll know that Moonraker, the space shuttle, was being flown over here on loan from the Americans on the back of a 747. Yes, which crashed somewhere in the Yukon. That's the official version. The truth is rather more disturbing, 007. Now, that's the scene of the crash. Wreckage strewn over a large area. We've been through it with a fine tooth comb, but there's no sign of Moonraker. Not a trace. Are you suggesting the shuttle was hijacked in midair? That's for you to find out, 007. Now, James Bond has to find a space shuttle that has been lost. Um, 16 years before Charles Darwin published Origin of the Species, a British biologist by the name of Edward Forbes had published his thesis saying that life could not exist in the deep ocean. Once you got down below about, uh, oh, I think it was about 500 metres or something, uh, life couldn't possibly exist. And the people who were trying to defend the theories of Darwin was pointing to things like fossils and saying, Fossils are examples of the evolution of life on Earth. Uh, religious leaders countered that by saying, no, fossils were put there by God to test mm -hmm. our faith. Um, and so they came up with the idea that the people who were supporting Darwin saying, well, if we can find evidence of uh, life deeper 
and, and fish in the sea that can uh, point to the fact that we've evolved, things that Charles Darwin say exist but no one's ever found, uh, we might be able to prove the theories true. So they set up and they said, look, let, let, let's go uh, explore the oceans. Let's go down, do deep sea soundings, drag things up, see what they are and see if we can actually find things from which life on Earth actually evolved because Darwin said life uh, began in the oceans and crawled out onto the Earth. So uh, that's what they did. Now, um, James Bond, as we know, has got to go find a lost Moonraker space shuttle. So let's um, hear him go meet the bad guy, Drax. Mr. Bond, Mr. Drax, I'm honoured that your government should send you on so delicate a mission to apologise in person for the loss of my space shuttle. How would Oscar Wilde have put it? To lose one aircraft may be regarded as a misfortune... <laughs> To lose two seems like carelessness. An apology will be made to the American government when we've discovered why there was no trace of the moonraker in that wreckage. May I press you to a cucumber sandwich? <laughs> so, it's a very, it's a, it's a very Roger Moore-ish James Bond movie with uh, Drax, the uh, evil bad guy, giving him cucumber sandwiches. And uh, anyway. Uh, so to sort of prove Charles Darwin's uh, thesis, uh, the British Admiralty came up with a ship called the Challenger and uh, sent it off on a four-year voyage around the world to uh, drag up samples from the deep ocean. Uh, the Challenger left Portsmouth in England in 1872 and uh, first went to the Mediterranean and it had barely got anywhere down the coast and it had already proved the uh, sorry disproved the theories of uh, Edward Forbes and found life from from way beyond the 500 meters where he said it couldn't exist uh, the challenger went into the Mediterranean sailed around there dig, dug up a lot of things uh, and then it crossed the uh, after it left the Mediterranean it crossed the Atlantic it discovered the mid-Atlantic Ridge which was later explained with uh, plate tectonics it sailed down south to Antarctica and then it visited Australia and New Zealand. And in Australia, uh, one of the Wyville Thompson, one of the people sort of leading this scientific party, went inland into Queensland and uh, found the um, lungfish, the Ceratodus, the Queensland lungfish, which could actually, when um, water levels were low, it, could actually, it had lungs, it could actually breathe air. And this was one of the sort of missing links that Darwin had been. Uh, but far more important to that is James Bond has to uh, do, play his next track and um, find out what's going on with Drax. James Bond. Despite your efforts, my finely wrought dream approaches its fulfilment. Your dream, whatever sort of nightmare it is, has no chance, Drax. No doubt you have realised the splendour of my conception. The human race, as you know it, will cease to exist. Jaws, Mr Bond must be cold after his swim. Place him where he can be assured of war. <laughs> Mr Bond, I bid you farewell. So what Drax the baddie is doing in this movie is going to put a whole lot of perfect people, a superior race, onto a uh, moonraker, a space shuttle, take it up into outer space, kill everybody on Earth and then take the people back to Earth and start again with uh, perfectly formed human beings. Uh, the, uh, the Back to the Challenger in the 1870s, it sailed across the Pacific and on, on its way across the Pacific it did a sounding and found a very deep... 
um, uh, ridge, uh, the Challenger Deep. It was named for the ship, the Challenger Deep, which is off the in part of the Mariana Trench. Uh, and it continued on, and that was how they found the deepest part of the ocean. Let's have James Bond fix up Drax, and I'll tell you the link in a moment. Here, in the untainted cradle of the heavens, will be created a new super race of perfect physical specimens. Like gods, your offspring will return to Earth and shape it in their image. Your seed, like yourselves, will pay deference to the ultimate dynasty which I alone have created. They will be able to look up and know that there is law and order in the heavens. So we're still looking for the same things, law and order in the heavens and perfect people. But uh, what, what's the link between the Moonraker movie? Well, the space shuttle Challenger, which sadly uh, broke apart, I think, in 1986, was named for the um, the ship that sailed around the world and also named for the Challenger Deep, the deepest part of the ocean. So there's uh, there's my little James Bond link that I had to uh, to work in. Fantastic, Jeff. I love how you connect Bond with Darwin. Time for us to get out of here. Bron, what is on next week's show? Uh, Kate's going to be in with me next week and uh, we're going to have a whole bunch of surprises, which means haven't quite worked it out yet, but we'll be there <laughs> full force. Hey, big thanks to uh, everyone today, um, to Rex Hunter, um, to Elodie Kempras from Deakin University uh, and to your good selves, uh, um, Jeff and Cabin Boy, and also to Kent, wonderful Kent. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.